You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Nice job, Greg. Nice job back in Mission Control. It's Scott Rintoul. It's Jamie Dodd. It's the final edition of the show for this week. Chris Cuthbert set to join us here momentarily. I know it's not your initiative, Jamie, but you uh, have found yourself with information that can earn some of our listeners oh, yeah. a little bit of money. Here we go. Get ready. It's uh, it's going to make some of our listeners' days, specifically if you're living in Alberta and fall into a specific category. And the news is this. The Alberta government will pay $100 to Albertans over the age of 18 who get a COVID vaccine between today and October 14th. So there you go. If you've been on the fence, if you're wondering whether you should do it, if you just haven't gotten around to it yet, for whatever reason, $100 in your pocket if you live in Alberta and go get the vaccine between now and October 14th. I'm not sure how many people will jump at that opportunity. It'll be interesting to see. I saw a study maybe a month or two ago in the New York Times, Jamie, that they surveyed a number of people who were unvaccinated and said, no, I don't think I'm going to do it. And they said, okay, we're going to ask you a bunch of different questions. Can you participate in the survey? Would you do it if? And they gave different incentives along the way. And it started with something like a $20 food credit. It worked its way up to $100 cash was the highest amount of money they offered. And that got it up to about 14% in that particular survey. Hey, 14% of people said, okay, if you give me 100 bucks, I'd do it. 41% of people in that survey said, I'll do it if you tell me that I can't travel on an airplane without it that was the one that came in number one yeah and that's no surprise and i think you know already here in bc since we announced you know okay you're gonna need to show you're gonna need to have a vaccine to do inessential things right like go to bars restaurants movie theaters we've seen a spike in in people going out and and getting the jab right so I'll, i'll be curious to see what effect this has in alberta but yeah if for some of our listeners out there in Calgary and Alberta, there you go. Chance to go make 100 bucks for yourself. Well, and the incentives are different depending on what we're talking about. And we deal in sports, and yes, this affects sports, and the restrictions affect sports. They affect the Olympic announcement, at least potentially today, with NHLers going to play over in China. And they affect the National Football League, as we were just talking about with Bob Kravitz. And basically, all of these businesses, and in this case, the government in Alberta, which is not... We can we can argue about that being business or not, Jamie. But it's not a private enterprise. Let's no. let's let's put it that way. But all of these businesses have said, okay, what do we have to do to incentivize enough people so that our business runs properly? That's literally what this is coming down to. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know this is. I don't know. Some people might call it a half measure. As you said, maybe studies show it's not going to be overly effective, but I, I don't know. Try, try. Why not throw a different few, few different things at the wall and see what's going to actually move people, right? That's where we're at. That's the measure that Alberta has taken today. So if you happen to be in Albertan, you might even be in BC listening to this because, hey, we're not quite through Labor Day yet. So you might still be getting a few vacation days in there before you really get after it next week. That's the info. You can get yourself a hundred bucks. What is it? Between now and October 14th? Is that the deal? I believe that's correct. And somebody immediately texted, texted, I just got the vaccine yesterday. Damn it, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that's a tough situation. If that, that might be a joke, but that's a tough situation. Adam Sandler, wedding singer, always around. Again, this is information I could have used yesterday. It's Scott Rental. It's Jamie Dodd. Now joined by the one and only Chris Cuthbert, play-by-play voice for Hockey Night in Canada. Thank you very much for answering my text and picking up your phone. How are you today, sir? Good to be with you, Scott and Jamie. Uh, yeah, we're uh, 
I guess in September you better start picking up your phone again. So, But I, I'll answer your call anytime. Thank you. Thank you very much for doing so, and thanks for joining the program today. I know you've already received your vaccination. That happened for you with your second dose months ago. But what was your reaction to seeing the COVID protocol that is coming into place for the National Hockey League this year? Well, not surprised. I mean, I, we, uh, you know, uh, covering the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, the, 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 the protocol was pretty, pretty tight for us to be able to go back and forth. And, uh, uh, you know, you knew that uh, going forward that, uh, um, that, you know, more was going to have to happen. And uh, uh, I, when we finished up last year, I, I got the impression we were kind of done with it. And man, that was wishful thinking that, uh, you know, maybe we'd be back to uh, normal by the new season, but it's pretty clear a month out that uh, we're not anywhere close to back to normal. So, uh, uh, so it's good to see that they're taking these precautions so we can try to accelerate the, uh, the bid to get back to normal. Different leagues have done different things. Were you surprised at all how stringent the restrictions are for those who choose, even after putting these incentives in front of them, not to get vaccinated? Well, I think maybe because this is pr- probably the most dependent uh, of the leagues on, on cross-border, and uh, and that, uh, that creates more... Um, more issues and and more potential problems so so no i'm not surprised and uh i'm on the side of uh let's let's be stringent let's uh let's get this thing done so um not surprised at all well and i think another part of this chris is you know we should recognize that from what we're hearing we don't have any official numbers but the reporting we've heard is that already of the vast majority of the players have chosen to get vaccinated i think something is close to 95 percent potentially so you know we should keep in mind these these extra protocols they might only be targeting a very very small number of players by the time the season rolls around that's for sure and and you take the extension by that if you want to go to the olympics as of today right. you're going to have to be uh fully vaccinated as well but again yeah that cross-border thing i think has uh has uh has made it uh you know almost mandatory but that that 95 percent number is good and uh uh, we just can't get going, and, and uh, I, I mean, this doesn't eliminate the possibility of, of uh, COVID issues and, and potential uh, postponements or whatever, but uh, they have to minimize the, uh, the chances of that happening to get, to, to get a full season in. I, I'm actually surprised, guys, uh, and I, I shouldn't say this as a member of the media, but I'm a little surprised that uh, the media is going to be allowed back in the in the dressing rooms uh, as quickly as uh, as they say that's going to be the case. Uh, it's good news, but uh, hopefully it's not overly optimistic. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about that, Chris, because I was surprised as well. And I think we've seen in other leagues that maybe that's not going to be the case. So, you know, maybe something that matters a little bit more to us in the media than to a lot of fans. But I do think it's good for the coverage of the game. And I know you know, lots of local broadcasters who weren't able to travel with the team and were calling games off monitors and how frustrating that, that was last year. But I agree with you. That's one of the pleasant surprises to, to me is that the media might be able to get somewhere close to normal in the way they cover these teams this year. Yeah, and, and uh, by no means am I complaining. It's, uh, it's outstanding as long as it's not uh, too much too soon. Uh, I, I know even looking forward again uh, February in, in Beijing, and that's an entirely different uh, kettle of fish, but uh, you know they are going to keep all the athletes 
away from everybody else, and I, I'm under the impression they're going to keep the media in in a in a, in a bubble like situation as well. So they're uh, uh, going to be separated from uh, uh, from the rest, and and they're going to make every precaution to make sure uh, that there isn't any problem there. Um, and again, it is good news, but um, you just you just hope we don't take a step forward and have to take two steps back. You've alluded to it a couple of times, Chris. Of course, the other big piece of NHL news that comes out today is they've reached an agreement with the IIHF and NHL players, you know, with the one caveat that they could still use an out a little bit later in the year, but they it looks like they will be heading to represent their countries at the Olympics. What's your reaction to the news and the agreement that they reached uh, to make it happen? Well, I'm excited, uh, and it's been a long time coming, and, and the longer we waited, the more you wondered, you know, is is, is this really going to happen? Uh, but I, I, I go back to the Stanley Cup final, and we're covering Victor Hedman and, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he was asked about Olympic participation, and it almost caught me off guard when he said, uh, this might be my only opportunity. Uh, I mean, Hedman's in the, uh, at the height of his career, um, but hasn't been in one yet. And, uh, you know, who knows in four more years whether a guy like that would get the opportunity. And closer to home, uh, you know, it's about time we saw, we see Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon playing for Team Canada. And uh, pretty excited when you start looking at the lineups and, and the possibilities for February. You make a really good point, and one of his teammates is perhaps an example of this, Chris, because when Steven Stamkos didn't make the roster in 2010, it was, ah, no big deal. Steven Stamkos, he's one of the young stars of the game. He's going to have multiple opportunities. And fast forward, like Steven Stamkos isn't even a consideration. I mean, I'm sure he's under some consideration, but we all know he's not going to be in the hierarchy of forwards that end up going for 2022. I'd be extremely surprised if he was. It can go by in a hurry, and you don't realize how fleeting these opportunities are. No doubt. I, you know, I, I I was kind of reminiscing to myself about 2010, and I, I know Drew Doughty is uh, a, kind of a, a hot-button topic for this team, um, but I was thinking back in 2010, he was the young guy kind of singing songs in the uh, commercial break and bopping on the bench as, you know, as uh, as the youngest guy on the team, and now the question is, is, is Drew Doughty 12 years later too old for this team? And um, so, yeah, it does go by in a hurry for sure. Tells you everything you need to know when you see that memo that went out to players today that they were willing to do this without COVID insurance. I know there's a pool of some money in case somebody does contract COVID, and the NHL teams have already said, we're not compensating anyone who goes, comes back, and has COVID. You're not going to get paid on your contract. But it tells you everything that the players were willing to forego that insurance and go anyway. It really does. I mean, it really underscores how badly – uh, the players wanted to be there, and the message was uh, heard loud and clear by the Players Association, and they took this to the brink. And, uh, and good on the NHL for, uh, for respecting the players' wishes on this. And it's my understanding that uh, this goes through 2026 as well, and so we don't have to wonder and, uh, and hope and debate this again in four more years. But, uh, I, you know, I, it frustrates me a little that the league – doesn't see the benefits that uh, I think could have been uh, uh, taken advantage here and might be taken advantage. I, although I, I grant that uh, that COVID's changed the way uh, the world's worked in the last couple of years. I, I thought had they made the commitment three, four years ago, we could have had, and again, I mean, all of this was pre-COVID in my thinking, but uh, that uh, 
guys like Sidney Crosby and, and Connor McDavid could have uh, uh, gone over to China in the summer uh, for a week or so to drum up interest to uh, maybe do hockey camps to uh, to help Chinese hockey. There's so much money over there potentially for sponsorship and everything if it was sold right. I, I thought even uh, uh, teams of newly uh, retired NHL players maybe combining a kind of a neat trip plus a, a tour to play against uh, the Chinese team that were, they were putting together. I, I thought there were a lot of opportunities that uh, that were being ignored. And as it turned out, because of COVID, uh, it wouldn't have happened anyway. But uh, um, I, I still think they might be able to make an impact over there that uh, makes financial sense in the long run for uh, for the National Hockey League. I agree with you for the most part. I am glad to see that the other side has had to relent a little bit here, too, because the IHF's picking up some insurance costs. Hey, we're not doing that in the past. And no, nothing off jersey sales. Like, I'm glad that both sides have conceded at least a little here because as much as I wanted to see NHLers in the Olympics, and I tend to agree with you, I also acknowledge that there was a pretty pompous and arrogant attitude from both the IOC and the IIHF in these negotiations. No doubt. And they're they're... You know, I, I don't know all the details of what uh, what concessions have been made, but there were there's there's opportunities on both sides to to benefit here and uh, um, and uh, and good on the NHL if if they can change the ways of uh, of a couple of organizations that uh, can get turned around as quickly as uh, as as a as a major uh, freighter. You know, it uh, uh, they. Uh, they operate kind of in their own little world uh, and uh, and good on the NHL for uh, pushing them to the brink to, uh, to to get some concessions. And I think, uh, Chris, you know, your point about the the chance to grow the game in China is very well made. But I even look at, you know, the, the NHL still needs to grow the game in the United States. And I would make maybe a comparison between what we just saw with the Canadian women's soccer team, right, and winning gold at the Olympics and how much of a spotlight that put on that team and that sport in this country. And, you know, if you're the NHL looking away, looking for ways to get more eyes on your game and more eyes on your star players in the United States, the Olympics still moves the needle, really, unlike any other sporting event in the world. I think so, and the fact that... Uh... Uh, you know uh, the the Canada U.S. battles. Uh, we just saw it uh, in a couple of great women's matches uh, in the summer in in soccer and and this week in hockey. And uh, you know when you look at the lineups, uh, you're thinking there's a pretty good possibility of a of a 2010 gold medal rematch between Canada and the U.S. And that would be that would certainly be the best of uh, all worlds for the NHL, even though. It'll come in a different time slot than they'd like, but uh, but yeah, it it can only help grow the game, I would think. And I, I know there are certain owners that don't like the fact that their uh, their rinks are going to be empty for a couple of weeks. But um, every team down there seems to take a two or three week uh, road trip uh, once or twice in a season, and uh, and uh, it's hockey being showcased at the highest level, and and. There's got to be some benefits, uh, whether it be uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes or or the Seattle Kraken or whatever team. Uh, I think the whole league should benefit from uh, what promises to be a pretty incredible tournament. 
Yeah, and I know there's a lot of our listeners that are saying, look, if it's Canada and the U.S. in the gold medal game, I'll be getting up for it no matter what time it might happen to be uh, in China. And Chris, you know, we got a little bit, well, a big piece of NHL news uh, last weekend when the Carolina Hurricanes signed Jesperi Kakanyemi to an offer sheet. We're all waiting to see what Mark Bergevin will decide to do. What was your reaction to the offer sheet? Well, we hear so much about potential offer sheets, and you, you kind of, it's like the... Uh... Uh, the boy who cries wolf, you, you know, you, you, you keep hearing it, but it never happens, but it, but it did happen. And, uh, I mean, obviously this one uh, has some history, which makes it uh, a spicy meatball. And, uh, and it's a real dilemma for, I, I, I mean, when, when they, when Montreal signed Aho, I mean, they made a calculated gamble that uh, Tom Dundon wasn't going to be able to come up with that kind of uh, front end cash. This one's this one's different because um, you know they can match, but they are tight against the cap. It's a it's an uncomfortable signing if they get Kotkaniemi uh, back, and uh, I'm sure it's uncomfortable to to lose a guy they drafted number three overall not too long ago. So uh, it's 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 no win, and uh, I'm a little surprised we don't see more of it in the NHL. A few more minutes with Chris Cuthbert, play-by-play Hockey Night in Canada, joining us here on this Friday. Hey, Chris, I can't let you go with your lengthy history with the CFL without asking you about the first month of the season and your impressions to this point in time. Uh, first month of the CFL season? Uh, That's right. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for the offenses to catch up to the defenses. I, I'm not a big preseason football guy, uh, but I wonder if they needed a, a, a little of a preseason just to uh, – uh, just to help the offenses catch up after uh, after missing all of last year, um, I'm glad it's back. I think it's getting better by the week, and uh, and Labor Day is my one of my favorite weekends of the year uh, for for football. And uh, I know I'm going to miss it this weekend, uh, but can't wait to watch. Yeah, I'm with you, and I know you're not going to be a part of it, but we can put our feet up and we can watch. And I'm with you, please. Just give me a little more offense. Give me a, a few more scores in the 30s instead of in the teens, and and we'll be happy. I don't know if we get that tonight. The way Ottawa's offense has been inept, but they're sure hoping so in the nation's capital. And like longtime consumers and diehards of the league, like you and I are, we are we're often in this spot where hey, love the league, love the product, roll our eyes sometimes at the way it, it gets rolled out by the administration. I know it's not only their choice. I know that the players had to be involved. But when you see three games in seven days come out yesterday for the Edmonton Elks, your reaction to that was? Yeah, that, that concerns me. Now, that that, uh, that is as old school as it gets. I mean, oh. they used to do the best of uh, two, best of three uh, playoff uh, rounds, and you could get three in a week. Uh, but that's... Uh, that's uh, that's old time back in the '60s. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, they play a different brand of football now, and that's just not good for the health of players. And uh, and I worry about that. You know, I I used to have a pet peeve, and, and because I'm old school, I used to love the fact that Calgary and Edmonton played on on uh, on Labor Day Monday, but then played the rematch on the Friday. And uh, you know, uh, Randy Ambrosi said that was not good for. Uh, you know, player health, and and I can't disagree. But then again, now they're going to jam three games in a week as opposed to uh, the Monday Friday back to back, which uh, which I found was you know equal for both teams. Even though uh, I grant was probably not best case scenario for the players, but it sure made for some uh, 
for for a great rivalry and some crazy football in the uh, in the second half of the back to back. But three and seven is uh, is uh, yeah, that's 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 just way too much. Yeah, it harkens back to a different time. I don't think they're going to be taking face masks off and leather helmeting these players for those games. No, we're not games. that old, but we're almost that old. <laughs> hey, Chris, awesome stuff as always. Thank you very much for picking up today. Have a great long weekend, and we will talk soon. Training camps are coming. Yeah, it's uh, right around the corner. Can't wait, and good chatting with you guys today. You as well. That is Chris Cuthbert, always one of our favorites here on this program today. Lots to get into with him and the National Hockey League. I see some news coming out with regards to an assistant coach at the Olympics, a guy who was a part of 2010. Ryan Miller is going to be part of the Olympic coaching staff, Jamie. Yeah, interesting. You know, retired not that long ago. I believe he played last year with Anaheim and then decided to hang up the skates and getting a pretty great opportunity right away with USA Hockey, Ryan Miller. No surprise. You, you know, you talk to people who know him and were around him. I think everybody has a lot of respect for Ryan Miller. But yeah, a really cool opportunity for him. Mike Sullivan, in case you haven't been paying too much attention to the American side of things, Mike Sullivan's the head coach, John Hines, Dan Quinn, who recently lost his job, or David Quinn and Todd Reardon are going to be assistants there as well. And now Ryan Miller gets added to that staff. So an interesting little wrinkle. We haven't even talked about that, Jamie. This Olympic announcement today, though we all saw it coming, it could seriously impact the two teams that we talk about a lot. We can hit that, and I want you to hear from Tom Brady next. You might not agree with everything he says. I'm pretty lockstep with him on this one. Find out why next on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Somebody's playing a little poker here, Jamie. Not with the music, just one of our texters. 960-960 or 650-650, you can hit us up throughout the course of the show on any given day. Jamie told you off the top of this hour that Alberta has put out an incentive for those who have chosen not to get vaccinated. They'll give you 100 bucks. Get vaccinated sometime in the next six, seven weeks. I think the outdate is October 14th, but if you're willing to go get vaccinated... They'll give you 100 bucks. Someone texted, I wonder if I keep holding out, how much more will they give me? <laughs> well, that is one of the arguments not to introduce this policy, right? Is that you create that idea. And some people said, okay, all right. Okay, their opening bid is $100. I, I wonder how high it goes after that. What is the jab worth to you? Yeah, I don't know if we need to have an auction for this sort of thing, but no. yeah, this is, and- one of our textures is kind of hoping so. And by the way, I uh, I texted in the um, the guy from Calgary who said I just got the vaccine yesterday. I, I could have used this information. And I said maybe it's a joke. Who knows? He, he texted back a hundred million percent, not a joke. My wife and I just got it yesterday. So their households out two hundred bucks that they could have had if they had waited until today. But they're a hundred percent vaccinated in their household, so that's a good thing. Yes. Uh, no. No. Like, look, I'm still happy he went and got it. I'm just I saying. I I understand I the frustration. I understand the frustration. If I had just procrastinated a little longer, it's Scott Rental and Jamie Dodd. You're always <laughs> not, welcome. Not a problem play. I have. <laughs> <laughs> not in this front, anyway. We're gonna no. hear from Tom Brady. I've been teasing that audio for quite some time. I thought it was a really interesting clip. Like Brady talks in a bunch of different ways in the media. He's had some fun stuff this week earlier, where he's going back with. Mike Vrabel, his old teammate, and they were taking shots at each other. That was kind of fun. This one's more football-oriented, but I think he's got a really good point. We're just coming off the Olympics announcement today. We find out the NHL players for sure are going to be allowed to go. You start to do the math on the rosters with the Canucks and the Flames, there could be a decent chunk of players that are heading over to China to represent their respective uh, countries, Jamie. Yeah, there absolutely could. And it's kind of funny because you don't, 
look at either of them as, you know, powerhouse teams, like competitive potential playoff teams for sure, but not top of the league. But yeah, you start going down the list and, you know, I mean, particularly with the Canucks, they could be extremely well represented on Team USA potentially, right? Okay. You know, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so what's the range on Vancouver to you? Like, what's the minimum number of players you expect off the Canucks roster? And we'll do this with the Flames as well. And then what's the maximum that it could get to if a bunch of things fell the right way and these players played well? So with the Canucks, I mean, I look at absolute locks to go if healthy. The number actually might be fairly small. Like, it's Elias Patterson for sure, is going to be on Team Sweden if he's healthy. I would say probably Thatcher Demko in goal for the United States as well. I can see, I would bet that Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser and JT Miller all go as Team USA as well. I can imagine scenarios where they don't, though. I, I wouldn't say they're, they're stone-cold locks at this point, but I would expect them all to go. Yeah, probably Pedersen and Hughes are your only locks, aren't they? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Is Quinn Hughes a lock? He probably is. I'm a huge Quinn Hughes fan of his game. I think he he's an incredible defenseman. I just wonder about the defensive issues we saw last year. If those don't get cleaned up, is he still a lock? I'd have to do more research to the American defense situation. But you're like, again, 90% chance he goes. Yeah. Is he a lock if healthy? I'm not quite sure. I think of that family's history with that program. I think of what the the younger Hughes, and I'm talking Quinn and his brothers here, have meant to Team USA program. I think that part of that will play a role here, and there's always that move to get young players to be associated with it. When you look at the American defense, there are some players on it that are are getting on in their career. I wouldn't call John Carlson old by any means, no. but John Carlson is he's in 30 now, right? Like they, this is what we're talking about. Guys like Zach Wierenski, Ryan, Ryan McDonough. Yeah. Right. Ryan McDonough is at the old end of things. And, hey, yeah. Adam Fox is going to be a guy. Quinn Hughes on the younger end. Char- Charlie, Char- McAvoy, Charlie McAvoy. Yeah. I would expect to be there. I-, I think Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, if healthy, are part of the Olympics. And then, as you mentioned, there's there's a bunch of other dudes on the Canucks roster that, hey, if they need the right type of player and Bo Horvat's playing well, could he possibly be? Yeah, he's possible, but I wouldn't say it's likely, would you? No, I would be, to be honest, I would be very surprised if, if Bo Horvat ends up going to the Olympics, just because it's nothing against Bo Horvat. Just, it's really hard to crack the forward group for Canada. It is, but Horvat plays the game in a specific way and move him over to the wing on a fourth line. I could see it. So again, might be on the fringes. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying he's one of those guys that I say, okay, if you're trying to expand the spectrum of how big it could get if a bunch of different things happen, Horvat's on the radar, let's put it that way. JT Miller on the radar. Brock Besser, closer, I would think, to being a part of it. I mean, I guess we could debate that one. Besser, Miller, who's who's more likely? Yeah, I think you could throw Connor Garland in there, potentially, if he has a great year. It starts of the season in Vancouver, right, on the American team. Again, more of a long shot, but like I would say Connor Garland has a better chance of making the American team than Bo Horvat does of making the Canadian team. You said that, your Demko. That's ah, going to be tough. That's going to be tough because of the depth of goaltending with this country. It really is. And I think everyone around the National Hockey League thinks very highly of him. So maybe he's their third. But John Gibson, Connor Hellebuck, man, it's tough to get in the American crease. Yeah, I don't expect Demko to figure much in the games because those two are, you know, stone-cold locks for the top two spots. But I think he would be, right now, he would be the pick for third. 
Yep, I could see that. The goaltender in Calgary is probably going, isn't he? He's going. 100% he's going. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy that's going to be on a roster, assuming he is healthy. That, of course, would be Jacob Markstrom. And, again, you mentioned it. Yeah, people don't think that much of the Calgary Flames coming off of last year and high-end talent. Well, there's some guys that are going to go. Matthew Kachuk's going. Yeah. Like, he'd have to fall on his face not to be a part of the American roster, wouldn't he? Yes. Oh, absolutely. He's one of the, the you know, you pencil him in right away when you sit down to make the American team. And when you're talking skill, what about Johnny Gaudreau? Johnny Gaudreau could be there for sure. Not a lock, but... I think for a team that does need more high-end skill up front in USA, yeah, I would probably take Johnny Gaudreau if I, would, if I was making the team. And I would think as a guy who can play center and wing, Elias Lindholm is going to be there. Yeah, Elias Lindholm. You could like does does Michael Backlund have a shot at at the bottom yes. of the Swedish roster? Still, yes, he yeah. does. Again, you talk about roles and you talk about what Michael Backlund does on the ice. Yes, Michael Backlund does have a shot to be on that roster. Certainly not a lock. Rasmus Anderson might be headed over. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one for sure. He has a chance. Yeah, not a lock, but has a, a guy who has a chance. So all of a sudden, it's funny. I think your point is really well made, and that's kind of how I wanted to frame that. You might not think that much of either of these teams relative to some of the powerhouses in the NHL, but all of a sudden, a decent chunk of the roster, if a couple of things break a certain way, might be headed overseas. Come Olympic well, break how time. about uh, how about Yusuf Alamaki? Yep. With Finland, maybe potential there. Nikita Zadorov with Russia, right? Again, these are n- not a lot of these guys are necessarily stone cold locks for their teams, but guys that could easily be in the picture and easily end up going. We're still a, a rock, right? It's not Russia yet. It's Ru- Russian Olympic oh, yeah. Committee. Is that yes, what we're, we're believe, still doing? That, I believe aren't we? so. Yes, the Russian Olympic Committee. Excuse yeah, me. It's such a weird. It's it really so is. funny. It is. It's yeah. so bizarre. We all know what you are as far as who you're competing for, but ah, it's not your flag. It's it's different. No, it's no, not and really. we're not. I, I think we're not going to play. They don't play the anthem for them. They play like a piece of classical music written in Russia or something, something like that. Is what really? That's the punishment. We'll take the cherry off the Sunday. You won gold, <laughs> and we're going to give it to you, but it won't actually be your flag, and we won't hear your anthem. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm not. Exactly. I'm not going then. <laughs> actually, it's <laughs> forget turned, it. Turned, forget turned it. Out, Turns out the gold medal here is still real. Yeah, they gave me that. <laughs> it wasn't one with a little bit of chocolate inside. That's not yeah. the case at all. Uh, a couple of people in Calgary have texted in, you know, could Blake Coleman for the United States sneak in in a role player position? I could see that. You know, he has the the pedigree of having bit played that role for Tampa, right? Do you ask him to go on the American team and do something very similar? Again, not not an obvious, okay, he has to be their guy, but I could see something like that happen. Noah Hannafin has been brought up for the Flames. I think he has a harder job to crack the American defense, which I think looks pretty solid overall, but worth thrown out there anyways. Here's a question for you guys, and this is one that has been asked many times. If Canada had a second team in the Olympics for hockey, how many other countries would it still be better than? A decent chunk. A decent chunk. I mean... It's probably pro- not a medal team. But it's a playoff team. I mean, it might I be a medal. It, I team. could see it. I could see it sneaking in there in bronze. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. that's discounting some of the other countries' top end. I don't think it's well, a medal team. And and to be fair, I'm not saying it would be the third best team. But in a you know single elimination tournament, could it pull off an upset against a team Sweden or a team Russia? Yeah, I think it could. 
Someone texted in saying a minimum of 300 NHL players are going, boys. Do the math per team potential. That's slightly under 10 if you went that way. I don't think a minimum of 300 will go. There no. will be there will be a number of countries that take players, specifically European countries, who don't have players. Like a number of the players will be playing in leagues, whether they be KHL or top end Sweden. You go through it. They'll take players from their domestic leagues over yep. some players that are in the National Hockey League, regardless of, of – everyone knowing that this is the best league in the world. Well, and that's before you even get to, you're right, because Russia will do that. You know, you might see a, a Finnish player or something from their domestic league, but that's before you even get to the smaller countries, right? The Germanys and, I mean, China, as we talked about earlier, that you know, Germany will have, obviously, Leon Dreisaitl, a handful of other NHL players, but by and large, their roster will be non-NHL players, and that's the case for a lot of the smaller countries that round out the tournament. Someone texted in, you don't think Johnny Gaudreau is a lock for Team USA? I do. Jamie doesn't. Come on, take off your Vancouver Canucks blinders for at least one day. I have Johnny Gaudreau there. Yeah, look, there's only so many players that are locks. they got to make decisions, right? You, you, there's only so many players they can take. It's nothing against Johnny Gaudreau. It's really hard to make an Olympic team. As I said, I would take him. I don't think he's a lock, though. That's fair to say. We got a proposal from a listener a few months ago, and I've teased this a number of times. We don't have the time to do it today, but it's a tough exercise that we will go through, and I think it's a really good suggestion for forming the Olympic teams and trying to go through and do it. That's all I'm going to tease right now. I'm not going to try to make you do it on the spot here, Jamie, but it'll be a good listener exercise. It'll be a good exercise for us as well as we continue to go through this. Raf and Comox Valley, out of the big four teams – and this is the ones Raf's considering the big four. doesn't have Finland in there, but Russia, USA, Sweden, Canada. I think it's a mistake not to include Finland in that group personally. Does Canada have the weakest goaltending, says Raf? It's a fair question. It's a very fair question, I think, right? You look at the American team is going to be very, very deep in goal and with some, you know, Connor Hellbuck, perennial Vesna candidate. I think Jacob Markstrom, we know what he can do. Andre Vasilevsky for Russia. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. If, if To the extent that Canada has a weakness, it's probably in the crease. Greg answered right away, and my answer is the same as his. My answer is no, it does not, and that probably is people, maybe Raph, and I don't. I guess maybe I'm implying this, Raph, that you think Canada has the weakest goaltending. Carey Price and the reputation. When Carey Price gets locked in, man, and you saw what Marc-Andre Fleury did, like those are the two guys we're starting with. No, I don't think Canada has the weakest goaltending of the group. Would you say Sweden then with Jacob Markstrom starting? Because I think, I mean, I would trade for I would trade Canada's setup for the American setup or the Russian setup, frankly, for that for that matter with Andre Vasilevsky. Would you though? And I asked that after watching Carey Price in 2014, and I know people was ah, he's not the same guy. I just watched that dude. I just watched that dude on the Stanley Cup playoff run, Jamie. He's pretty good. Yeah, but Andre Vasilevsky was really good in the playoffs. He was sure. awesome in the playoffs. Okay, but you didn't ask me to trade with Russia. You didn't well, ask I said me that to was trade one of them I would trade with. Okay, so um, I don't know if but I'm trading with the USA. You... I don't okay. know if I'm trading with the USA. I know that John Gibson is fantastic, and I know Connor Hellebuck has a Vesna, but in a one-game elimination style, who are you taking? Are you taking Gibson or Hellebuck over Price? Man, I just it, – it just – it worries me. It really does worry me with Carey Price at this age, with the health situation – in the offseason, I get what you're saying. When he needs to lock in over short periods, he's proven that he can still do it. I understand that. I think I would just rather have the more consistent performer, right? And I, look, I get it. I get the argument. It just makes me a little nervous. Hellebuck and Gibson 
have, for large parts of their career, they've looked as exemplary as they are because they haven't played behind a good defense. Carey Price has played behind good defenses. We've seen it multiple times, and that's part of the exercise with Canada. You are going to have a loaded team in front of you. You have to be a certain style of goaltender because it's not going to be high-end chance after high-end chance all over the board. It's that mental strength to be able to lock in no matter the situation. Sure. I, but, I mean, I I think that Connor Hellebuck and John Gibson could both adapt to seeing fewer shots. Like, we'll I have see. a pretty high level of confidence that they can pull that off. I am down with Canada's goaltending. I'm just fine with it. I would not trade it for the American goaltending situation or the Swedish goaltending situation. I wouldn't. Yeah. Now, we can talk Sweden, about Vasilevsky. Yeah. Sweden, I wouldn't. Russia, I would. USA, I think, is an interesting debate. If the other team only gets 15 shots on net, it doesn't matter who's in net, says the texter. That's the that hope. That's the hope outside. for sure. Well, it was on the big ice. I don't know if it'll be the same now that it's going to be NHL ice. It'll be a little bit different, and it'll be a conducive to NHL style of game. We saw what happened, how Canada just choked everybody the outside. Sorry, you're just not coming in here. Yeah. Thanks. No, no not going to happen. Scott Rental is Jamie Dodd. I've been teasing this Tom Brady audio all, Tom Brady audio all morning, so I do want to get to it. He has a lot of fun now with the media, Jamie, which I think is great because for the longest time, Brady said the politically correct thing or was as boring as possible during his time with New England. But in the last few years, suffice it to say, Tom Brady has taken the black hat. He's put it on. It's snug. It's fitted. And he's run with it. He's mocking at times. He's joking at others. He's he's a troll at times on social media. But it's fun, isn't it? It's super fun. It's a great. It's a whole new side of him that we never got to see in New England. It's a blast. But Tom Brady can still talk football. And I found this very interesting. Tom Brady talking with some of his teammates, and this was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers production, but he was asked about the game of football where it's at right now and how he believes the current game is rewarding mistakes. It's really interesting. Have a listen. I think the one thing about football that's changed over the years, which I think is really hard for someone like me who's played a long time to watch, is like there, it's not being taught the right way. Like a quarterback should only throw the ball to certain places because your receiver is in danger of getting hit. For example, when I used to play against Ray Lewis, mm -hmm. I wouldn't throw the ball to the middle <laughs> of the field because he would he, he'd go after you and he would hit. Like, and we didn't always have the biggest receivers, but – he would hit him and knock him out of the game. Mm. And now any, every hard hit is a penalty on the defense. So I feel mm. like they penalize defensive players for offensive mistakes. Mm. So, like, if a quarterback – I was watching the Chicago Bear game. <laughs> the the, quarter, the quarterback like, messes up, doesn't see the blitzer, and, or the line screws up. I don't know what happened. But the quarterback or the line on offense, the defensive player comes in and hits him hard, and they throw a flag on the defense. So they've almost moved the protection of your opponent – to you, as opposed to where it should be, which is on yourself. Like, if you're a quarterback, you got to protect yourself and your players. It shouldn't be the responsibility of your opponent to protect you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real – it creates really bad habits for players because you feel like I can basically do anything. I could run and not slide. I can throw the, my receiver into any coverage and not have any repercussion for it. The only thing they're going to do is they're actually going to blame the defensive player mm -hmm. for making a good, solid hit, and now the defensive player is going to feel like, oh, I can't do that, mm -hmm. even though I feel like it was an offensive mistake. So in the end, I think it's a really disservice oh God, to the sport because yeah. the sport isn't being played at a high level mm -hmm. like I, I believe that it once was. It actually deteriorates because you're not teaching the players the reasons and the fundamentals of what the sport mm -hmm. should be. 
The NFL is ultra entertaining. I agree with everything Brady just said there. Yeah, he makes a lot of interesting points, right, about the responsibility. And I thought it was interesting he said as the quarterback, it's not just a responsibility to protect yourself. It's a responsibility to protect your teammates, right, and make sure you're not putting them in dangerous situations as well. And if you expand the idea of what Brady is talking about, because of the way the rules are and because of the way the game is officiated right now, it lends you to believe that those who have played that position in particular, Jamie, at the highest level, they discount some of the statistical numbers that we've seen inflated here in recent years because they know they're getting certain benefits that weren't available to their predecessors. And it leads me to believe, like, we talk about triple doubles in the NBA all the time. It's not that they're not great, and it's not that the players who are getting them aren't great. They're just easier to get than they used to be. And that's kind of the way it is with yards and touchdown passes and a bunch of different things right now in the NFL. Well, the game has been engineered for a while now in the NFL, to be fair. And, like, Brady, a big chunk of his career has been played in a situation where this was the case, too. Like, the game has been engineered for more passing and more scoring, right? And it's accelerated in the time that Brady has been in the league, right? But a lot of these trends, I mean, back when he was throwing, you know, X number of touchdowns to Randy Moss in that season – there were rules that were different from 10 years ago that made passing a lot easier, right? So, yeah, that's absolutely the case, that the NFL has made a choice. We're going to protect quarterbacks in certain ways. We're going to change what the defensive backs can do. We are just going to make it overall easier to air the ball out, to rack up yards, rack up touchdowns, and score a lot of points. Well, the other part that's interesting about that, Jamie, is that it's almost the NFL taking a page out of the NBA's book. And look, they market the teams, they market the shield, they market the product more because the NBA is entirely star-driven. But at somewhere along the line, the National Football League went, well, we got to get our stars out there, and the last thing we need is our guys out of the lineup, specifically the quarterbacks, because they control everything offensively. We can see where the trends with fantasy football are going. We can see why people are interested in this game and how we're able to engage a crowd that probably wouldn't have wanted a part of our sport before. we got to keep these people upright. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because then they can frame it as – you know, valuing the health and safety of their players, right? And I'm sure that's part of it. They're they're cognizant of that as well, but it has the added benefit of doing all those things you just listed, right? Increasing scoring, keeping fan engagement high, helping make fantasy more entertaining and more exciting as well. Yeah, it's a big part of it. And people who want to, you know, not acknowledge that are missing it. And that's okay. Like, I have no problem. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and she knows more about football than probably... 90% of the people listening, like, knows her stuff inside out. And she said, my gateway in was fantasy football. Yeah. It's okay. And it's funny because I've been around the sport my whole life, and it's people who are of of my mold that, hey, I played football, and I've been doing this a long time. Most people of my mold, they tend to look down on people who come into it from a different angle. Ah, that's not real football. I'm the opposite, man. Whatever gets you interested – Good. I yeah. don't care what it is. Just get involved. Well, and that's obviously the calculation the NFL has made too, right? From a business perspective, who cares if it's fantasy football, if it's betting that's drawing them in? They're still fans. They're still potentially going to spend money on our product. They're going to watch our games and boost our ratings and help us increase revenue that way, right? And if increased offense is the way to go, then that's what they're going to do to chase that. Agree with that wholeheartedly. It's Scott Rintoul. It's Jamie Dodd. The texts are coming in. Somebody wants Bob Hartley to be the head coach for, <laughs> for China at the Olympic Games. It's Kurt Fraser, unless that changes. 
Yes, which given the situation in China, you never know, but it does sound like it'll be Kurt Fraser. Now, if China wants to have some sort of marketing video for their team, maybe they consider a change here. And I don't know what type of acting chops <laughs> Kurt Fraser has. I, I, I certainly don't want to put him down before he's able to give us something socially. But that, that wild video that we saw from Bob Hartley earlier this week, that actually might augur well for him. Has Kurt Fraser ever milked a goat? Does he have much experience in that capacity? I don't know. These are the kind of questions you have to ask when you're choosing between the two guys. Some of the stuff in that video is just wild. Like when, what did he say? Like the clear juice or something like that? And you look over yeah. and there's these two giant jars with gloves on, stuff's fermenting behind. It's, it's so <laughs> bizarre, man. <laughs> and Bob Hartley, of all the people to be right. involved, Bob Hartley. I doubt that's what they're going to talk about on the big show. They've probably already touched that a couple of times this week, but we will turn things over to them in Calgary. 960 gets your local programming for the rest of the day. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Enjoy the Battle of Alberta CFL style. Knock on wood, assuming there are enough Elks that are able to play as they continue through their COVID situation. Here in Vancouver, we will get back into a little local hockey. Owner of the Vancouver Giants, training camp's underway. WHL season just around the corner. Ron Toigo joins us next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. You there, Jamie? You still there? I am still here. Okay. I wondered if immigration might have knocked on your door after you said you would trade the Canadian goaltending contingent for the American goaltending contingent. I just wondered if you might have been hauled away. How dare I? How dare I? I I thought they might have showed up, asked for your passport, and then said, come with us. Let's go. We got to sort some (laughs) stuff out. Maybe I'll have to go into hiding over the weekend, but I'm still here. Hey, maybe a bunch of our listeners agree with you. I don't happen to, but that's okay. We don't agree on everything. It's Scott Rintoul. It's Jamie Dodd. the whole point of the show. Come on. Yeah. And, hey, now we can get into it. It's funny because in this country, we do this exercise – four, five, six years out at times. Like there'll be today's Olympic announcement and there will be people saying, okay, let's start projecting Canada's roster. That's a very natural thing to do and it'll get done over the next few days and maybe over the next few weeks and the other countries as well. And where does Canada stack up? Certainly the favorite or one of the favorites. And then there'll be somebody who says the all too early 2026 Canadian (laughs) men's roster. Guaranteed. I guarantee that somebody posts that in the next week. The next step. The next step. And I will admit, Scotty, I am a huge sucker for, like, projecting the Canadian Olympic team. I know it's kind of a joke, right? Like, that's what you do in sports media when you have nothing else to do, right? Like, if trade (laughs) deadline day – if trade deadline day isn't going anywhere, right, on our network's broadcast, it's like, well, all right, let's see what Team Canada might look like at the next Olympics. I get that. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I think it's fun. I, I do it just as myself, as a fan. It's just a really neat exercise, and I enjoy it. So I'm happy we have a legitimate reason to be talking about it now. Well, and here's what makes it so fun. What makes it so fun is that there are a lot of different options in this country. Oh, yeah. So we've talked about our Canadian national men's soccer team. For most of my existence, most of yours, your existence, all right, well, we know who's starting. Yep. Like, we know who's starting. The, the guys who are playing in decent leagues, they're going to start if they choose to come back for these international games. That's who it's going to be. And it's been the same with Canada basketball as well, hasn't it? Yeah, or if there is a debate or question about who starts, it's because none of the options are particularly appealing, right? right. Like that's, the only, that's the only time when there's question about who's starting. Well, no one else can score, so why not give this guy a chance to not score exactly. too? Like, yeah. It can't be any worse, can it? Like That's what it's been with a lot of those teams. But with 
Canada Hockey, obviously it's a completely different story. And so even if it's manufactured at times, you can come up with a pretty easy debate when it comes to yep. Canada's men's hockey roster because you can put out rosters that they're not that they're still plausible. They might not fit the opinion of everybody who's listening or watching, but it's a plausible roster. Yeah, right. It's not as if you know, the talent doesn't drop off after the first 12 forwards, right? So you can dig into the guys who are, you know, you know, in that kind of next tier and make a case for them, right? That's what a lot of our listeners do with Bo Horvat. I don't think he's got a real shot to make it, but it's not crazy to think that Bo Horvat can represent his, te- his country at the Olympics. That's a very good example. It's a very good example because we all know when you're forming a roster like this, when you're forming a forward group, at one point, after you get past the no-brainers, it's, okay, well, what exactly are you looking for? What yep. exactly are you looking for? Do you want roster flexibility? A guy who plays center, but in this tournament you would play him on the wing? And is it a specific penalty-killing role that you're looking Like, we get into that conversation, and players that wouldn't generally get involved in your top 10 to 12 forwards in the National Hockey League or 10 to 12 Canadian forwards in the National Hockey League, they enter that equation for that exact reason. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because of this year's edition of Team Canada or this Olympics and how it's shaping up. I think one of the hard things for Bo Horvat is there's a lot of players who fill those roles that are available that you would put ahead of him, right? Like Mark Stone, one of the best defensive forwards in the world, right? Ryan O'Reilly has that pedigree as a shutdown defensive center. Sean Couturier, you know, Patrice Bergeron, right, is going to be a part of this team. So I think that's what makes it such a difficult road for Bo Horvat. Is You're right, they need players who can fill those roles, but they have a lot of those really elite high-end role-type players available to them. Well, and that's the other part of it. How much does chemistry have to do with it? And we've heard yep. about some of the things in the past. Well, here's why Claude Giroux's not in the on the roster, because Crosby's there, so Giroux's not going to be, and, and that's how it's going to go. And the fact of the matter is this. There are a, a certain amount of replaceable parts on the roster. There really yep. are, because the, the depth of talent is so good. And we can continue this debate throughout the course of the show, but we want to make way for some hockey that is happening right now. WHL gets going this month. Jamie, training camps are open, not the least of which is in Vancouver, out at the Ladner Leisure Center. Masks are mandatory. Social distancing has to be practiced inside the building. But all of you listening out there, you are welcome to attend. You are welcome to get a sneak peek at this year's edition of the Vancouver Giants. And the owner of that club joins us now, Ron Toigo. Ron, thanks for doing this. How are you? Good. Good afternoon, Scott. How you been? I've been very well. How have you been during this time, trying to get everything in place so that we can get up and running here with the WHL season and your team in particular? Well, it's really nice to be able to actually be doing it. It's uh, It's been a pretty um, unusual uh, 18 months, to say the least. But um, I think, you know, uh, hopefully the worst is behind us now and uh, we're all a society and we can start sort of moving forward and uh, – Probably for the next year, just manage the situation until the whole thing goes away finally, whenever that is. Fingers crossed. I agree with you wholeheartedly. How challenging has it been from an ownership and board and league point of view to navigate through this and put protocols in place given the age of the people we're talking about here and different health regulations across provinces in Western Canada? Well, it's been challenging with all the different jurisdictions we're dealing with. Um, you know, there's a, a large portion that's completely on side with masks and uh, and fully vaccinated, and and uh, let's get on with 
getting the economy and society back to where it was. And then there's, you know, the small segment that uh, feels it's an infringement of rights for some reason, which I, 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 I can never comprehend that one. And uh, and don't want to go along with, with what's the best thing to do that, that's um, really gone on for the last hundred years, how, how you dealt with pandemics when they came up with vaccines. Um, you know, we eliminated a lot of uh, things that I grew up with, from measles to smallpox to rubella. You can go on down the list, and um, you know, and, and and the world uh, was a lot better for it. So I, I don't know where the big pushback is on this go around, but uh, anyways, I think it's come a long way. We're apparently ninety percent, so I'll take ninety ten any day of the week on any deal. Very well said, Ron. As I mentioned, you guys are out practicing at the Ladner Leisure Center, getting tuned up for the season right now, but you're going to go to your new, well, to your regular home, but it feels like a new home with everything yeah, that's been going like on. Yeah. yeah, for for the longest time here. Do you have an expectation right now for crowd capacity given the current COVID climate in BC? Well, um, I think, you know, just, just from what we're, we, we're, uh, we're working with, we anticipate by October that um, things will be better and uh, they'll have uh, more of a grasp on on what's going on, and uh, and we expect to be able to operate it reasonably to full capacity, and um, and and hopefully that is the case. I mean, we're going with fully vaccinated for everybody that works there, for everybody that's on the team, for uh, now now the province is put in for anybody coming in the building. I don't know uh, how much more you can do um, as far as uh, protecting people than that, and uh, and with that, everybody in the building knows that uh, everybody's vaccinated um you also get a, a, a comfort level being able to know that as well so so we're we're, we're hoping we're, we're planning uh you know as three quarters to, to full capacity um by uh, mid-october when we start our season ron what's the that process been like of working with local and, and provincial officials trying to get all of these protocols sorted out. I mean, I know over the last 18 months, there's been a number of times where they've had to make rulings that have impacted you one way or the other. What are those conversations like? I'm sure you're in pretty close contact uh, with the relevant decision makers. Well, you know, uh, looking back, it, it, nobody, I guess maybe the experts had some idea what they're dealing with, but, but in general, the government didn't really, know what the heck they were dealing with and, and to, to the extent that it actually turned out to be. But having said that, I think you know, the cooperation uh, with with looking for solutions to, um, to how we were able to put our, our season together last year in the bubble and the cooperation and and, uh, and what we had to do to make it work with the testing with uh, and, and then the vaccinations actually came into play during that, which, which, which certainly helped. But um, the, the level of cooperation was very good, and uh, and their their focus on trying to make it work for us, um, we couldn't have well, we wouldn't have been able to do it with them because we needed their approval. So so no, it's been good, and um, you know, and now as this thing's rolling out, um, with them allowing us to have people in the stands uh, if they're fully vaccinated, um, it just gives us an opportunity to actually have a season, and and hopefully um, by mid-season to get really things closer back to normal but uh, no they've been good to work with well and as you said at least it seems like there are going to be fans allowed in the building to start and we'll wait to see what the official number is the official percentage of capacity but I mean beyond that just the fact that we're going into a somewhat normal WHL season right with a full slate of games scheduled fans are going to be in the buildings 
after everything that's happened over the last 18 months, how exciting is that for you and really for the entire Giants organization to be starting out here? Well, it's 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 really exciting. It's 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 disappointing that we we lost a big part of the cycle of this group we had because um, you know we felt our team was um, especially when the season shut down. Um, we've just come off a ten game winning streak. I think we lost a couple, but we were probably set up to, to as good as anybody to, to have a run at getting back to the Mem Cup or or at least uh, get back to the league final again, and um, and then lost that. And then last year. Um, you know, we started out like a house on fire at the, at the bubble until until like that got old for the guys living in hotels for over a month and a half, and uh, we weren't we lost a bit at the end there. But I think the personnel we had was, was as good as anybody's, and you know, and this year I think is our is probably the end of that cycle with uh, you know with with sort of and Osichuk, but uh, the, with the addition of Lysel and and Shepherds had uh, his hip surgery, so he'll be back later, which will be like a huge add to the team, and then. Barkley's added Mountain Thorpe, and um, you know, and, and Vickerman from, from the Swedish national team um, to our group. We have we still feel that uh, you know it's it's probably Kamloops is probably the team to chase, but we feel we're we're just about there if we can add a defenseman. So we'll have an exciting team to watch. So to be able to get back and playing and uh, and have an entertaining product, I think will be uh, really great for the fans to see. Yeah, and I know a lot of fans and our listeners here in the Lower Mainland are really excited to get out and support the team when they're able to. And for the league in general, for the WHL as a whole, I mean, just from a business perspective, how important is it that you're able to, again, be playing a full schedule and are are going to be able to welcome fans back into your venues this year? Oh, it's essential to the survival of, of the league as it is, that um, that there is some some form of a, a normal business per se um that 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 we've had in the past just just to make ends meet but um i don't i don't think anybody's under the illusion that uh, there's going to be uh um positive cash flow for a number of years before uh things sort of get back to normal but um i think uh you know just so we can mitigate the damages and and let our players develop as they have in the past because really at the end of the day it's all about the development of our players and, and them achieving the goals of uh, making it to the NHL. And if not that, then they fall back on our education contracts or that they, they can all go back to school and fulfill that. But um, that's that's probably the most important part. And, you know, that's really what the bubble was all about last year, just getting that cycle in for these players. And, uh, you know, players like Osichuk, it, um, you know, basically took him from a mid-round uh, pick to the, a high second-round pick and, and sort of, you know, showed off his talents on that, you know, what a steal he was in the third round for Florida. He'd probably be a high first-round pick now. I think and, we've uh, lost Ron. So it, at the end of the day, like I said, it's all about the development of the players, but um, nobody likes losing money, especially uh, at the levels we've lost the last couple of years. But I guess they had lost me for a second. It was my connection that was out, but I am back now. Ron Toga, owner of the Vancouver Giants, joining us here today on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Just on that thought, Ron, as we've gone through these last 18 months, and there's the obvious changes that have to be put in place from a health and safety standpoint, at least temporarily as we move forward through this pandemic. It's given everybody, no matter what business, this chance to step back, examine practices. What can we do better? Is there anything coming out of this as a league in general that 
that has been worked out through the last 18 months or so that you think, you know what, this is something we're going to do differently and it's going to actually be a lot more beneficial for the league? Oh, I think um, not just the league. I think everybody in general, that they're certainly um, uh, the, the, the hand-washing on virtually, you know, you probably wash your hand 10 to 15 times a day now that uh, three years ago you might have been doing it five or six times a day. And uh, it's uh, just just the, the making sure that everything's clean and thinking about things a lot. It's, everything's top of mind awareness. I mean, to the point where virtually the flu was eliminated last year. And uh, uh, and as a result of that, it's, it's, it's um, how many teams were shut down, you know, or not shut down, but, you know, three or four guys got the flu, so they're out for, you know, three or four games and things like that. Uh, I think uh, just we all are very, we're all, we're always conscious about making sure everybody was clean, they were healthy and, and to avoid getting sick. But I think it's just been amped up to a point that um, it'll, uh, it'll, you know, hopefully uh, keep a lot of the other issues away that we've had in the past. Well, if you're male and you've been to a sporting event and you've visited the facilities, you know the hand-washing thing. Well, that's a good change. That's a very positive change moving forward. <laughs> Hopefully most people are adopting that practice from yeah. now on. Hey, Ron, just with some of the names you were throwing out there, I know they'll be unfamiliar to some of our listeners. It's easy to forget how long it's been. I know it's not lost on you, but it's easy to forget how long it's been since people were familiar with your roster. I'm not saying that it's like the expansion team that you first broke into this league, but the reintroduction of of who your players are and what they are is there a different approach you have to take this season with regards to that i think um well i think we've still got uh the star power with justin sort of um, by all accounts was probably uh, number one or two best player at the world junior camp this year and uh he's gonna have a hell of a year and um people will certainly be brought uh, aware of them again if they weren't in the past. Uh, Fabian Lysol, Boston Bruins first pick in the in the draft this year. Um, by all accounts, he, he'll he'll be joining us at some point uh, once Boston decides uh, to send him back to us. And um, Vickerman, the the uh, Swedish goalie from uh, the national team, will be joining us as well. And you know, and then the guys, uh, some of the guys from the past, uh, Shepard. Unfortunately, he had hip surgery again, and uh, his other hip. So he'll be out. It's kind of the same as Brendan Braden Point had in Tampa, and so it's it's like a year recovery. So it's it, you'll probably be able to play by November, and by by mid by January he'll be one of the more elite players in the league. That uh, and then Mount is a player that Barkley traded for from Seattle, who played with Shepard and sort of. And uh, as a midget, and uh, so they got some familiarity to them. And um, and then on our back end, uh, Taylor Brown is really—he uh, was one of our better players in the bubble last year. So yeah, we expect lots of him on the back end. And um, and uh, and then we got Leslie, who um, was our first pick a, f- a couple of years ago and played as a midget in the bubble last year. I uh, got five goals. He's um, um, you know, probably not fair to do, but he's got a lot of similarities to Bowen Byram. Uh, his offensive mind, his, his hockey smarts, his, his ability to move up in the play, uh, very similar. He's going to be a fairly high NHL pick when he comes around, but he's just 16 this year, but he's already had a season under his belt. So so we're excited. We're really excited about the group 
we have, and and uh, and think we're going to do some real damage this year. Well, and I hope for your group, Fabian Lysel is on his way back. But I do remember a pretty high-profile Vancouver Giant who was coming back from Boston. They kept him, and now you name one of your after him, Milan Lucic. Yeah, that cost us a mem cup, I think. Uh, no question about it. And uh, but uh, Lucic is was he was a man when he left. Uh, he was, and uh, Fabian's got a ways to go in filling out his body. He's, he's a smallish guy, but uh, skill set. Um, you know, a lot of the scouts, the NHL scouts we talked to, said unbelievable. Uh, they can see him having a 50-goal season. So we'd be excited to see that. Uh, we'll be happy with, with, with it. Basically, we'll be happy with anything over 30. But uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll, it'll be fun to watch. Ron, just before we let you go, I wanted to ask about your team's head coach, Michael Dick. He's going into his fourth year as, in his position with the team, and we've also started to see him get opportunities with Hockey Canada because he's getting that recognition for the job he's doing here in Vancouver. Just in his tenure with the team, what has he meant to the Vancouver Giants? Well, he's been, uh, I, I mean, honestly, he's hes only coached one year. <laughs> and he's been here for four because of all the changes and everything that's going on. But, no, I, I've, I've known Dicker for, he was he was part of our original group with our expansion team at the Coliseum. And, uh, uh, and his dedication, his commitment, his, uh, his intellect on the game and being able to pass it down at, at, with kids at this level understand it i think he's second to none uh he's got a son that's um 19 so he he's he's gone through every level of hockey coaching his son and understands the players of today better than most because he's been he was in the middle of it and um and all he does is win at every level he's up he's been at and um so we're very fortunate to have him uh but you're right he's getting other opportunities hockey Canada's very high on him and i think um if it wasn't for um, the pandemic and all the things going on in the NHL, it probably would have um, had other opportunities right now. By now, but I think uh, his days are numbered in a good way at our level, and uh, so it's another reason that we think uh, this should be a very good year for us. But but we also have Keith McCambridge that, that uh, is back with us again this year, who's had a number of years as the head coach at the AHL and. Um, Worked very well uh, with Dicker last year in the bubble, and uh, so it. it uh, we think our coaching staff is as good as anybody's in the league, and um, with our group, uh, put it all together, and we should have a very good competitive team to watch. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that team, and I know a lot of our listeners are as well. Ron, thanks for taking the time today. Continued success with training camp. Can't wait to see the Giants hit the ice this year. Thanks a lot, guys, and thanks for the support. All right. You as well. Day. That is Ron Toygo joining us here today. And, Jane, we've talked a lot about this throughout the pandemic. And in the sandbox we play in every day, it's really easy to slip back in to the pro game. But I think one of the things people have realized over the last 18 months is who their neighbors are and who people in their community are. And I do see a stronger push toward local and supporting things that are in your neighborhood. And the WHL, the BCHL, they all fall under that umbrella. Yep. And, I mean, really, Vancouver hockey fans, or lower mainland hockey fans anyways, are going to be spoiled for choice this year, really, with the Canucks being able to welcome fans back, the Giants, the Abbotsford AHL team starting up. As you mentioned, the BCHL teams hopefully will get going as well. I completely agree. It's the support local idea. Let's extend it to those local sports teams, to the more grassroots leagues, right, rather than strictly focusing on, you know, the big money pro organizations all the time. We all have an appetite, and some more than others, to get back out, get involved in group settings, be around people again. I know some are hesitant with that, and everybody's 
everybody's entitled to their opinion and you can't tell somebody how to feel, but there's also going to be a scarcity component to that. Vancouver Canucks are going to be limiting tickets for a while. They hope it's not a long yep. while, but every organization is probably going to be in that same boat. So there's going to be this pent up demand of, I want to do something. And whatever that something is, you're going to try to go. I think at least most people are going to try to go. I think there's going to be a huge appetite to get back to these kinds of events, right? And again, as you say, everyone's comfort level is going to be different and it's going to depend on the specific venue, the rules in place there, all of that. That's going to determine how many people want to go. But I just think in general, yeah, people want to go to these kinds of things, whether it's sporting events, movie theaters, concerts, whatever it is, if 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 we start holding them and it, people get the sense that it's safe, you're going to see a huge demand, I think. Amira in Richmond says, I hope you guys talk about COVID and vaccinations with every one of your guests and in every segment. There isn't enough coverage in the regular news. End of sarcasm. I understand your fatigue. Mario, I'm fatigued by the entire pandemic, quite, quite frankly. Yep. But it's a pretty big factor in everything that's going on now in sports. And the WHL is no exception. Look, Ron talked about it, saying every player, every member of every team and organization has to be vaccinated in the league this year but you have to it goes beyond that hey what are you going to do for your fans what are you going to do about people getting into your building workers that are going to be there how about billet families in the whl how does that factor in as to where your players are going to be staying this year all of those different things it's a pretty big consideration that a lot of businesses in fact every business is going through or at least has gone through in the last number of months Well, and think about how important for the WHL it is to be out there and involved in the community, right? And are you, okay, yeah, everyone's vaccinated. Are you still going to be running that same, those same sort of community events? I believe it was uh, Emily Kaplan of ESPN who reported as part of the NHL's COVID protocols, you know, things like autograph lines, things like maybe doing charity events aren't going to be possible for NHL players this year, right? That's a huge part of major junior hockey and of junior hockey in general in Canada. Is that going to be possible? There's still a lot of questions to be asked here. I know this is apples and oranges, but you just reminded me of this. The name, image, and likeness, that has been opened up in the NCAA. You know that college players, specifically in the bigger sports, are going to be able to make money off of that. Did you see the Ohio State incoming quarterback, what he signed for? No, I did not, but I'm excited to hear it. Right. So he's coming out of Texas high school. He could have gone back for another year. He's not going to. He's going to go to Ohio State. So he's part of the incoming class, I believe, for next season. He has signed a contract worth $1.5 million over three years. Woo! Yeah. Not bad. Not bad if you can get it out of high school. And it includes things like autographs, all those types of sessions, like that type of marketing outside of going to play football at Ohio State. Decent coin. That, yeah, that is massive. Wow. And that's, I mean, man, can you imagine, you know, we're going to hear the same thing about guys going to Alabama, right? About, you know, guys going to play basketball at Duke, right? Like what would what would Zion Williamson have oh. got what, going into his sophomore or his freshman year at Duke, right? I mean, he was a high school phenomenon even before he stepped foot on campus there. Canucks fans hope this guy is a phenomenon. He's showing up this year. How much of an impact will he have? You'll hear from the head coach on him next, right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Quite literally, we are. Quite literally, we are today. It's Scott Rintoul. It's Jamie Dodd. To the strains of Loverboy. Coming back, one final segment coming your way. Vancouver Canadians baseball from Everett. It's a nooner. 
It's coming your way at the top of the clock today. Jamie, I teased that there's a freshman that Canucks fans would like to be a phenom, and while I don't think most Canucks fans believe he is going to be the next Calder Trophy recipient or perhaps even finalist here in this city, there's a lot of people who are pretty high on Vasily Podkolzin. High hopes, no doubt about it, right? A big, you know, we've talked a lot this summer about the new look for the forward group. You know, some of that's Connor Garland, some of that's Jason Dickinson, but part of that is Vasily Podkolzin giving the hope is, you know, giving a little extra offensive juice farther down the lineup. Well, it's not just the offensive juice. It's that he comes with the reputation of being a tough guy to play against and willing to play a physical game as well. And there have been a lot of people for a while in this city that have said, give me more of that. Give me more of that. If you're not going to completely outskill a bunch of teams, even if you are, in fact, there's always been a an appreciation in this city for a blue-collar physical element to the game. Yes, there absolutely has. You're right. And I, I think even... Not that Vasily Podkolzin has struggled necessarily since they drafted him a couple of years ago, but we know the story in the KHL, right? Fighting for ice time, maybe not having the trust of his coach. Is it because he's planning to leave for the NHL, right? There's always that issue in the KHL. But one of the narratives has been, you know what? His game is actually more suited for the NHL style because he has that kind of jam, right? And he loves that physical style. He has the intensity. So I think there's a lot of excitement. Okay, the shackles are off. He's out of the KHL. He's going to get a chance to show what he can do in the NHL. And, uh, you know, as I, as I said, a lot of people are hoping that he has the perfect game to make that transition. Part of it has to do with where he's drafted as well. And there's a tendency oh, yeah. to think that if you're a first-round pick, top 10 pick that it comes with high-end offensive upside so you mentioned that maybe there's a little bit of disappointment we know the story in the KHL some of that has to do with not necessarily watching the player play and expecting the offensive production to be the thing that hooks you yes right you're expecting to see big numbers in the box score you're hoping to see it because of his draft stock or where he was drafted his draft position probably was never going to happen in the KHL with Vasily Podkolzin no, probably not. Travis Green was on the station this morning with Joey Kenward and Adam Forsyth, who were in for the vacationing, Mike Halford and Jason Bruff. And Travis Green was asked about Vod, uh, Vasily. I'll get his name right here eventually. Vasily Podkolzin and where he sees him fitting in to the lineup with the Canucks this year. First of all, I'll start off by saying we're, we're extremely, I'm extremely excited to see him live and in person. Um, I've really said it from day one that I, I tried to keep pressure off young players. Um, I think we've done a, a fairly good job in developing uh, a lot of the young players that have come through. Um, and he'll be no different. We'll take it day by day with them. I know he's extremely excited to get over here. I'm expecting him to be in Vancouver sooner than later. And um, But he's, he's, a, he's a really good young player. Uh, I have high hopes for him that he'll, of course, I, I hope that he can play as many minutes as he can handle, yet I'm also realistic that uh, there's a young player that's got a bright future ahead of him, and we got to make sure that we bring him along the right way. And uh, But I, I, I'm hoping that he's, he can play as many minutes as, as uh, he wants and, and we want, but I, I'm confident that that will come eventually. There are supporters and detractors of the head coach for the Vancouver Canucks, Jamie, and there are some who are on the detractor side of the ledger that say, well, his handling of young players. Man, Travis Green has proven during his time behind the Canucks bench, 
if he thinks you can play and you are a freshman in this league, you're going to play. And there'll be some, well, I didn't play Besser for the first two games. Well, it worked out okay. Like, Besser yeah. was the runner-up for the Calder Trophy that year. That was just fine. Well, Elias Pettersson should have had more ice time earlier. He won the damn Calder Trophy. Quinn Hughes was a consideration, finished runner-up as well. It's worked out okay with young players under Travis Green. Yeah, and Quinn Hughes, you know, was in consideration for the Calder, you know, despite it, it took him a couple games to be on power play one, right? Or, or, or <laughs> yeah, you right. know what I mean? Like, what what's the what's the Vasily Podkolzin controversy going to be this year? Because, yeah, you're right. With Besser, it was that he was scratched for two games. With Pedersen, it was his ice time early on. With Quinn Hughes, it was the power play one issue. What's it's going to What's it's going to be with uh, Vasily Podkolzin? I guess the only you know high profile rookie it hasn't happened with. Recently is Niels Hoaglander, who just came in in training camp and was basically immediately, okay, you're going to play because you're one of our best forwards. That speaks a little bit to the depth or lack of depth in the forward group last year as well. But it's a great point you make. For as much as people want to nitpick all of those decisions with Besser and Pedersen and Hughes, those guys all have phenomenal rookie years, and they've all continued to grow and develop as players. One of the things I think sports fans miss a lot of times on is the relationship between the head coach and the players. Oh, I doesn't like this guy or he's old school. He wants to make him earn it. Do you know what coaches at the highest level want more than anything else? They want to win. And if they yeah. have a player they think can help them win, which helps them keep their job, they will play that player. Personal differences aside, even if you think there happen to be any, if Louis Erickson had been a way better player in Vancouver, Travis Green would have played him more. And he would have played him higher up the lineup. And there's a lot of people that think he left him in the lineup too long, trying to give him more of an opportunity, despite some of the comments that came out in that article earlier this week. Well, Louis Erickson got chances in the top six, like as recently as a couple of years ago, right? Got consistent chances in the top six. You're right. Not because Travis Green loved Louis Erickson, because Travis Green thought with the options available to him, that gave him the best chance to win. And again, on the young players, okay, maybe you think, you know, Travis Green was out of his mind to scratch Brock Besser for a couple games to start his to start his career, but he changed his mind pretty quickly, right? And that that's what I think is more important about how Travis Green has handled these young players than anything else. It, it's he's not stubborn about it. Okay, maybe he plays Elias Pettersson, you know, ten minutes in his first couple of games, but then he recognizes in a hurry what he's got and says, Okay, I need to give this guy more ice time. Quinn Hughes, I need to put him in charge and hand him the keys to power play one because I've seen with my own eyes what he can do. It's not as if these decisions drag on for weeks and weeks or months and months. If Travis Green sees that you can play and you can help the team win, he will give young players ice time. We saw it with Niels Hoaglander, right? There was very, very little, you know, um, hand-holding of Niels Hoaglander in his rookie season. It was, okay, hey, you're playing with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson, and you're going to match up against the other team's top line, and I trust you to do that because you've shown me you can handle it. Well, it's part of the job that we have, but it's also part of just being a fan. You have an opinion, and you want your opinion to be right, and quite often we think we know far better than the people who are doing this on a day-in, day-out basis. It doesn't mean they make all the right decisions, but they're going to try to make the decisions that help them win games. I always go back to Pedersen in his rookie season. What was the line coming into training camp, even off the MVP and championship of the SHL? He's going to have to start in the wing. Like, he's yeah. going to have to start in the wing. He didn't even play center very much last year in winning the league MVP, and despite the success, ultimately, while they see him as a center, he can't start as a center. And I'll never forget the first day of training camp, Travis Green saying, well, I want to see him there first. 
I want to see if he can play center in the National Hockey League. And if he can, I'm going to let him play center in the National Hockey League, which is exactly what he's done from day one. And think about how important that decision has been for the future of the franchise. Really, when you look at what else they have at center in the organization, and I know they went out and got Jason Dickinson, but you you go down the prospect pipeline, and look, I understand, maybe even if he plays that wing wing that year, you know, maybe he transitions to center at a later time, but Scotty, you know, like that happens a lot, right? Where a guy is kind of seen as a tweener between center and the wing coming out coming in uh, into the NHL and you know, okay, he'll play the wing, and then we'll try to get him over to center, and it just never happens, right? Because, ah, he's a winger now. We'll just leave him at the wing. So that was a tremendously important decision that Travis Green made, and a gutsy one as well, because not a lot of people thought Elias Pettersson was going to do that in his rookie season. Well, and again, if you want anything to hearken back to, they're going to do what they think gives them the best chance to win. That's pretty proof positive of it, because it made some of their signings redundant immediately that they had made in the offseason to fortify themselves at the center ice position. So that was, contracts be damned. This kid gives us a chance, and a better chance than, than what we have, and we'll figure the rest of it out, and some of the money might look bad on the books, but this gives us a better chance. Yeah. And it was the right move. It, it has panned out in a big way, not just for Elias Pettersson, but for the organization, too. Moving on, Scott Rintoul, Jamie Dodd, final segment of the program here today. Jamie, on a scale of 1 to 5, 5 being the most disappointed, 1 being not disappointed at all, how disappointed were you in what you saw or at least the result last night at BMO Field in Toronto? Uh, I would say a 3, probably, right? Like a, a loss... And especially a bad loss, an ugly loss, would have been a five. Any loss would have been a four easily, and if not a five. I, I wanted to see a better performance. There's no doubt that I am disappointed. I'm not just going to write it off and say, ah, hey, it's game one of 14. They've still got a lot of time. That's true, and that's why it's not a complete disaster. But it is a disappointment, especially when you consider that this is a team that they are, you know, this is one of the top teams that's going to be in the running for that third spot with them, right? Like one of their main competitors for qualifying. You could have gone up three points on them right off the bat. Now you're tied. Now you feel pressure to go down there and at least earn a draw when you play Honduras. In Honduras, which we know is so difficult, it's a missed opportunity. It really is. It's not fatal by any stretch. It's not a reason to write off this team, but it's a big missed opportunity. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a failure yet. We had an earlier texter say, that's a failure. This is the team you get. Look who's coming. It's the USA. You've got El Salvador coming in, third game in seven days. You had to have these three points. No, by virtue of the fact that you've got 13 matches left yeah. in this qualifying, it's not. It's not yet. It might end up looking back on, like, if Canada misses by one or two points, you may ultimately look back and say, you know what? That first game against Honduras, they they needed those three points, and that's ultimately what cost them here. But you have a whole bunch of different ways to atone for this, including a match in Honduras coming up as part of this qualification process where you can go in and you can get not only a result, maybe you win that game. There's a bunch of different ways this can go down. Yeah, there are, and there's so many permutations for how this could all play out, right? And I think the only thing it does is it definitely puts a lot more pressure on that El Salvador game at home, right? Like, if you're not able to get three points there, that's going to be a massive disappointment because, again, one of the weaker teams in this qualification process, we know how important home games are. you got to find a way to win that one next week. Again, to your point, though, you know, you look at how things played out in the rest of CONCACAF mm -hmm. yesterday, and Mexico was the only team that won. Right? They beat Jamaica 2-1 at home. The U.S. went down to El Salvador, drew 0-0. Panama and Costa Rica drew as well. 
So it's not as if, look, you're you're probably not banking on beating Mexico in the standings. But none of the other teams that you're going to try to be competing with, they didn't jump out to point advantages over you either, right? So you can find a little silver lining there. Okay, we didn't get it done. We didn't make the most of his opportunity. But some other teams missed opportunities as well. I probably shouldn't get people's hopes up too high, but I want to speculate for just a minute. This doesn't actually come from me, but somebody I was reading a little earlier. But before we get there, let's hear from the manager, the gaffer, if you will, John Herdman after last night's draw. Look, it's uh, it's sort of a game that you you got to take three points out at home, but you know we'll take a point after after the performance. It was a, definitely a game of, of two halves from. What you're seeing out there, I thought the players started strong, but really, really proud of, of the resilience they showed in that second half. I think they were able to settle, settle their nerves. We made some tactical changes at half time, and more importantly, I just think that, that that if they can carry that sort of spirit and resilience through, we've seen, you know, this is this is going to be a great great journey for the team. There was a lot to be hopeful about, and Canada showed flashes and just couldn't quite get the job done in, in many of those cases. Alfonso Davies had a number of forays and, and didn't always make the right decision. But, man, it's I said to my wife last night when we were watching the match, Jamie, it's just so different to watch this team compared oh. to the Canadian teams I've grown up watching. It's so much more fun. Yeah, it really is, because you actually feel like they have a chance to go forward and get that key goal, right? Partly because of Alfonso Davies, but with the other attacking talent as well. And, you know, what John Herdman said there, okay, they got a lot better in the second half. That's got to be your hope if you're looking for positives out of that match last night, right? Is that, okay, a little bit of nerves. A lot of guys have not been in a stage like this before. I mean, really, nobody's been in this particular stage of qualifying in CONCACAF for this team. It's all new to them, so maybe a little bit of nerves in the first half but they found a way to settle down and play a lot better in the second half. And you just hope they don't need to repeat that process, right? When they host El Salvador next week, that we see the second half version of Canada right from the opening whistle. If they do that, yeah, they should get three points at home against El Salvador. I don't want to get people's hopes up too much, but you mentioned the next home match that's at BMO Field. That's next Wednesday. Canada will also host a match in October. That'll be the 13th against Panama. Canada hosts two fixtures in November. Steve Sandor is a guy who's covered soccer in this country for a really long time. I saw him speculating a little bit today. We talked about the Elks schedule in the Canadian Football League and the way they've had to switch things around. Now, part of that readjustment of the schedule was BMO Field being used for a game between the Elks and the Argos on the 16th of November. And part of the reason that was able to come to fruition, as was noted in the CFL release, that someone that another entity that had a, a hold on that venue at the time, basically it was it released that venue. Now Sandor did a little bit of speculating. He went, okay, if they've moved the Elks schedule around like this, they used to have a game at Commonwealth on the thirteenth. They're not playing that anymore. That game's gonna be in Regina. And Somebody used to have a hold on BMO Field on the 16th. And again, these are right around the dates of the Canada matches. Yep. He went, yep. is it possible that the Canada-Costa Rica game on Friday, November 12th is in Edmonton? And if so, would that mean that the Canada-Mexico match by proximity could be at BC Place in Vancouver? He, was, he basically was doing the, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. 
it's interesting. It's very, very interesting, especially the bit about, you know, one person who had a hold or one organization that had a hold on BMO does no longer has it. That's very interesting mm-hmm. to me. And I I mean, I am fingers crossed that we get one of these matches out here in Vancouver. I would be thrilled. I think you would see just a packed house as as much as we're able to of extremely loud fans. You know, I will say, I know from the last time Mexico played here, a good chunk of those fans would be Mexican and or at least supporting Mexico, which is something maybe Canada soccer wants to uh, wants to consider. But I do love the idea of playing in Edmonton in uh, in November as well. Like you got to flex every advantage you have, right? That's going to be unpleasant weather for some of these Central American teams. You don't think Costa Rica is used to that? Is that what you're saying? No, Edmonton, <laughs> man. So, Scotty, I I uh, spent about a year teaching English in Costa Rica just after I graduated from university. I remember it was January, but, like, there's no seasons in Costa Rica. But it got down to, you know, around, like, 15, 14. And I was walking to school, and, like, literally everyone is wearing, like, toques and gloves and scarves. <laughs> And it's awesome. like 14, 15 Celsius. So, yeah, no, I don't think they're, I don't think they're uh, used to Edmonton in November. By the way, and the other part of the backstory here is 2026 World Cup's coming. FIFA wants to see some of these venues for themselves and see how matches go there. So, again, you want to get on board with the theory that maybe a game comes. Vancouver, John Horgan has said, yeah, we might be back in the mix for 2026. Probably wouldn't mind seeing the venue, high-profile game. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. We've only got a few minutes left here, and we're going to turn you over to Vancouver Canadians baseball. But, Jamie, I think it's incumbent on us to take a minute out of our day to salute our boss who is on his way out. It's his final day. You're not going to hear him on air. We have a lot of fun laughing at Bick and the boss, the boss part of it, because Craig McEwen's been on air for the last few months. He's been running the ship here since day one, and I know on a personal and professional level, he's a part of the reason I elected to come to this station and try to get things off the ground here. We're losing a really good one today. People say, ah, it's easy to say that, go on air. No, man, we've all worked in a bunch of different places, in a bunch of different industries, and we've all had good bosses, and we've all had bad bosses. This is one of the real good ones, man. It, I, I honestly, I can't say enough good things about Craig at CMAC and what he's done for the station, what he's done for me personally. You know, I wasn't a day one guy here like you were, but I was an intern not long after, joined the station about a year after it launched. And just as someone, you know, a young person, well, I, I'd like to call myself a young, but you know what I mean, coming into the industry with no real experience He's honestly just been an incredible mentor, an incredible friend, an ally for me, someone I can always go to for feedback. He has helped me immeasurably, like really in just so many ways that I can't even begin to describe. And I'm really happy for him that he gets to tackle a new opportunity that he's excited for. But yeah, we're all going to miss him in a big way here at 650. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really happy for him that he gets to go tackle a new opportunity. And my friendship and professional relationship with Craig dates back more than 15 years when we worked together at Sportsnet Pacific, and we were both doing the television thing, and he helped me a lot back in those days as somebody who was just breaking into the industry the way you were in these last few years, and, and that has continued as well. And, I hey, listen, as listeners out there, you guys have a lot of opinions on things that happen on the station or what airs, and that criticism comes for all of us with being in this business. I will tell you this. You will never know some of the things that have had to happen behind the scenes over the first four years of this station and some of the challenges that Craig in particular has taken on, many of which he never talked about to any of us. But you find out what he did, things that he sacrificed personally, how much he put in. 
It was never for a lack of passion. It was never for a lack of effort. It was never for a lack of humanity, which has been lost at times in this business over the years. Man, my hat's off to him. Thank you so much for everything, C-Mac. We all wish you the best. Yeah, I completely agree with that. He has shouldered such a burden, and he has always, from what I've seen, C-Mac has always tried to do right by everyone, everyone at the station, everyone he comes into contact with, and just as you said, you know, there's it's not it's not that often that you'll get people waxing poetic about their boss, right? But he has earned it. He's he's really just been incredible. Save that, C-Mac, because the next time we see you, the next time we'll rip you about your hair, we'll rip you about something else, because that's just how it is, and that's the good relationship that we all have together. As mentioned, we're going to turn you over to Vancouver Canadians baseball. we got the Nooner coming your way with Everett. Greg Ballack back in Mission Control. My thanks to you. Co-produced today between Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf, who stuck around doing double duty again. My thanks to you as well, Jamie. Have yourselves a great long weekend, everybody. Enjoy yourself out there. Make some good choices. We'll get back with you on Tuesday. Have a good one.